When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard Giants fans to episode 96 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giulio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. As training camp is not only officially underway, but well underway here. A few days in, the Giants have gotten the, I guess, the rust off a little bit, and camp has started, practice has started. We've already had a couple controversies, a fight in practice, a little scuffle. Um, This whole thing, it's real now. Football is back. The Giants are back at practice, back at training camp. James and Dan have been there every minute so far. James, let's start with you. And uh, camp got underway last week, and right away there was uh, big news to talk about when it came to Odell Beckham Jr., Yes. Uh, I mean, what else? I mean, of course we had that. So obviously Giants report to training camp on Thursday, relatively, you know, slow, kind of boring day. Uh, ben McAdoo's, you know, little story time about Frazier the Lion kind of kicked things up. But, you know, as I said, it, it takes a lot to knock the head coach discussing a sex crazed lion with his team kind of out of the headlines. And Odell did that. So, you know, obviously, you know, people kind of packed up. I was home from the day after report day covering that at the facility and, you know, uninterrupted drops this video where Odell says, among other things that uh, he wants to be the highest paid player in the NFL and, and kind of away we went. And, you know, there was a little, little spin, you know, a little kind of news cycle off of that for the next couple of days. There was, and it probably will continue as we watch Odell play this year. Dan, when you heard Odell say what he said, or you read when, what he said, what did you think? My first thought was, it's a good goal to have. I don't think he's ever going to achieve that because quarterbacks just get paid more. But I, I didn't see why there was outrage with this one. He wants to be the highest paid player. I, I think a lot of players would like to be the highest paid player. Right. I'm kind of going to repeat a point I made on a Facebook Live with James the other day. Uh, the funny thing with Odell, everything he does is so polarizing. And yet when I look at what he does and says, I always kind of find myself seeing both sides of it. So it kind of goes against the fact that he's polarizing. But uh, yeah, the fact that people are so outraged, I mean, NFL Network has him as one of the top 10 players, and that, you know, it's a vote of his peers, and he's obviously put up numbers that are off the charts, been a pro bowler. Like, he's in the conversation for best player in the NFL, so what's he going to say? I want to be the eighth best paid player or even the number one wide receiver. That's a super attainable goal, so I'm not the wrong with shooting for the stars. At the same time, it always kind of comes back to this question with Odell of why. why what, what was the need to put this out? 
and I'm not going to kill him for it because we always kill guys for not saying what's on their mind and not speaking their mind. So uh, I'm not going to kill him for, you know, saying it. But it's just like, you know, it's, you're coming into camp. Everything's quiet. All the stuff from the spring about his contract and missing OTAs, all that was kind of put to bed. And then day one. And again, I don't think it's an accident. I think he's very savvy and his team is very savvy about how to keep Odell, you know, in the in the news cycle. You put this out on day one. And like James said, it knocks out McAdoo's comments. Everything got pushed down. This became the number one store. You couldn't turn on a sports show or a sports website and not see, uh, you know, commentary about what Odell said. So I think that, you know, there's certainly, uh, you know, a reason behind it. And then you have the owner, John Mara, who, you know, doesn't speak that often holding an impromptu press conference to address it. So, I mean, if Odell's point, which I think it was, was to kind of get this topic uh, kind of towards the top of the list, he certainly was mission accomplished. Yeah, it worked because we talked about it for days. We're leading this podcast with it. It's it's on the minds, James, of people around the NFL. And Dan just mentioned John Mara. He talked about it. And some of the players you guys talked to talked about it and gave their thoughts on it. The thing that I took away from listening to Mara speak about Odell and listening to his teammates speak, no one seemed annoyed by this. And the Giants kind of gave him some leverage when it came to contract negotiations because they didn't come out and say, well, 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 well. They basically said, yeah, he's a great player. Yeah, I mean, I think that Dan's right. I, I don't really see why anyone had any problem with what he said. I mean, you might not agree that he should be the highest paid player in the NFL, or you might think it's completely unrealistic that he ever achieved that. But I feel a lot of times with Will Dell, we've gotten to the point where you know he does something that makes news. And you know, you have this kind of ten percent on one side that they just they will vilify everything Odell does, and then you have this ten percent on the other side that just it, the apologist lobby, which will ju- literally just defend everything he does. And it, I almost feel like the apologist lobby kicked into too much overdrive in this situation. They were kind of fighting a battle that didn't exist because I really don't think, with the exception you know a back page or two here or there. Anyone really was that bent out of shape about what Beckham said. I mean, you can say, okay, why did he feel that you do this on day one of training camp? It kind of, you know, create this firestorm after we kind of just got over the last firestorm. But I don't think anyone really like thought there was anything malicious here or anything major had happened. And I just felt that people just were completely overreacting because there's just a, you know, a mechanism of, of the, the kind of the culture around the team, the fans and the media and everything. They just defend everything he does. That being said, I totally agree with you. John Mara's comments uh, to me just were kind of puzzling because he basically came out and said, we want to pay Odell a tremendous amount of money. And the thing that really got me was he said, you know, like, you know, he said that, you know, obviously they want to see you know, a little more maturity out of Odell, but he said, but he has nothing to prove to us. And to me, that just kind of cut, to some extent, it kind of cuts Jerry Reese's legs out from under him because Jerry Reese gets up there in January and was possibly the most firm of anybody uh, in, you know, in Giants authority, you know, figure to come out and say, Odell needs to grow up. Like this, this stuff kind of has to stop after the playoff game. And now we've gone from that to John Mara basically saying, I'm not going to pay Odell now, but I, I have, I'm ready to pay him. Like there's nothing left to, to be proven or decided. And I just don't really see how that kind of helps Jerry, the message he sent. And moreover, my question to John Mara was, if you're so adamant that you want to pay Odell Beckham and he wants to be a giant and you want him to be a giant, then what are we waiting for? Do it now. Get it done. And John you know, he said it when the time is right, but he didn't really seem to know, ex- be able to explain like when the time will be right. So I think it's very weird that you're right. The Giants are kind of giving Odell leverage, but then saying, but we still have leverage and we want to hold it. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, though, about when a negotiation is going to start. If I'm Beckham's agent, I'm on the phone as soon as I see those Sean Mara quotes come across the ticker. I mean, I don't know what they'd be waiting for. He's giving, like James said, Mara's kind of conceded a lot of leverage. So if I'm Beckham's camp, I don't know what the point is of waiting. I mean, it, they'd be totally within their rights to make a phone call. And, you know, Mara said something along the lines of, you know, when it'll get done is when the agent, you know, has a realistic uh, offer. And then he clearly, he, he made sure to clear that up and say, not saying they've had anything unreasonable. We haven't had any discussions, but it's time to throw out that first unreasonable uh, offer, I think, just to get the ball rolling because uh, it's at the top of everyone's uh, minds right now. So I don't, I don't see the point of waiting around. And, and to your point, Joe, about the teammates, I think it's funny, all this media attention, all this negative attention Odell uh, seems to generate it's it's kind of shown that his teammates really do seem to like him because there's been plenty of opportunities for guys to say something off the record, something kind of behind his back. And you haven't seen any of that. If anything, it feels like guys really rally around him. So it's almost like we have to maybe as, as the media, I know it's not going to happen, probably dismiss the distraction word. I know McAdoo kind of is the one who put it out there last year, but guys just don't seem to have a problem with Odell. Uh, you know, he certainly draws headlines, but I think the fact that he's so good on the field and, you know, treats his teammates well. He gave them all backpacks on the first day of camp. Uh, they don't really seem to have a, as much of a problem with the stuff he does as kind of everyone on the outside. And at the end of the day, those are the guys who matter. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that sometimes get lost when we in the media are caught up in all this Odell fervor. The guys he's around like him. And that counts, obviously, a lot more than what we think of him. Um, you know, I think that, again, they just respect what he does in the field. And we saw it the first day of camp, or the first real practice of camp. He put on a show and just kind of reminded everybody, you know, he is the best wide receiver, arguably the best wide receiver in the game. Uh, so that obviously does give him a little bit more leeway uh, as far as some of this other stuff he does off the field, which uh, even in that, he doesn't get in trouble. You know, he, he certainly has a way of staying in the, the headlines. But, uh, you know, you could be Ezekiel Elliott having his name in the police blotter, it seems like, you know, every couple of months. And he hasn't had that. And I, and I think that that does get sometimes overlooked uh, when we get so caught up in, in some of this, uh, you know, headline type stuff is really not a big deal uh, to his teammates at the end of the day. Yeah. And he seems like a hard worker too, when he gets himself ready to play. I think he added all together. The giants would probably take this and like you said, Dan over Ezekiel Elliott or a bunch of other kind of players and kind of personalities. He could be like, he's, he's unique, but obviously he's a tremendous player. So Odell became the biggest story early on. James, there's a lot of other little stories here. Let's talk about, and then we'll get into some of the other stuff that, that just gone on in the midst of practice that you guys give us some insight on that you're seeing that we're not. Uh, Eli Manning, I thought it was interesting. Eli was on with Mike Frances. That's where I heard this, and I know you guys wrote about it, um, the first day of Giants camp. And I heard Eli talk about the pitch count that he's on. I, this is like the new buzzword in the NFL. I've seen other quarterbacks talk about this the last couple of weeks. Eli's pitch count and trying to keep his arm fresh. And I heard that they were trying to think about and use what the Cowboys did a few years ago with Tony Romo. And he didn't practice on Wednesdays or, you know, one of the days during each week. And that was the year he had a great year. And uh, stayed healthy, and they, they were a catch away from the NFC title game. So there's a precedent to trying to keep an older quarterback fresh. How does Eli look, James? And what did you make of the way the Giants are now handling him with this pitch count? Uh, you know, so far, so good. I mean, I think if, if you look back to last year, he didn't play in the preseason opener against Miami. Uh, the last two years, he hasn't played at all in the preseason finale against the Patriots, if I'm not mistaken. My guess is that you'll see that again this year. I also think that, you know, I don't know. It, I think it remains to be seen, you know, if they're going to have him take off a week in practice every week. I, I think they can do that because, you know, and we'll kind of discuss this later. They finally have a, a, another quarterback in camp and Davis Webb that he's not going to be the backup this year, but I don't think the Giants 
would have any problem if they can steal Davis Webb a couple extra reps here and there. They kind of created like this opportunity period during practice to kind of let, let the young guys have a seven on seven. So obviously Webb's the quarterback there. And, you know, if Eli were to not practice on Wednesday every week, well, Josh Johnson or Geno Smith, whoever would run the uh, – run the offense, you ends up playing the backup job. They obviously would run with the first team, but you know, that would probably mean that Webb would get a little bit more second team snaps. So I think it's definitely a possibility. And I think that Eli's age probably plays into factor of it, because I think the giants are kind of fortunate in the sense that Eli didn't play well last year, but he really, it didn't look like it was a major physical decline yet. So they kind of have that to hang their hat on, try to prolong, you know, his physical stature and where he is. And if they can, in the process, get Webb a little bit more work on the back end, I think they'll take that as well. Yeah, they certainly would seem to. Dan, on the other quarterbacks, James mentioned Davis Webb. What kind of difference is that, just watching a, a Giants camp compared to last year where there's another quarterback to keep an eye on? Yeah, I think there's a few big differences. I mean, last year there, you know, there really wasn't a competition for the backup backup job it was going to be Ryan Nassib and there was only three quarterbacks in camp so you add that fourth quarterback and, be, and that fourth quarterback being a third round pick that everyone's interested in uh, you know fans are have somehow convinced themselves that Webb is going to you know leapfrog two veterans who were brought in to be the backup quarterback and he's going to hold the number two job down and I think it's pretty much been answered. I know it's only two, three days into camp that that's just not in the Giants plans. They've said from day one or McAdoo said from day one that he you know, thinks it's much better for Webb to learn behind the scenes as the number three quarterback. And everything we've seen in the first couple of days, he's gotten a total of four team reps. I mean, that's that's very low. I mean, I know people may not be able to put the numbers in perspective, but I think two a day, you can tell that's that's pretty low. They're not giving him a lot of opportunity. So. How are you going to leapfrog guys who are getting 15 reps or 20 reps and you're getting two? Um, and and they, have to, they have to determine their backup quarterback. It's not like last year where you just knew it was NASA. They need to have Geno and Josh Johnson go at it day after day. And it seems like the plan there is they're going to rotate with the twos. You know, the first day it was Geno with the twos. Yesterday it was Josh Johnson with the twos. And I assume that will just kind of continue to flip-flop. And then you'll get into games and it'll probably be the same thing in the preseason. But uh, they need to determine which one of those guys is going to be the backup and like James said, Webb gets this opportunity period where that's where he gets reps. But I mean, he's throwing passes to, you know, Mark Herzlick at that point in practice. So it's it's evaluated, but it's, it's not quite uh, a determining factor. I don't think for who's going to, you know, he's not going to move up the depth chart based on what he does there. But I think it's an important uh, period for him to get those reps because then once you get in the season, you know, he'll probably run the scout team most of the time. So you're really not getting a lot of uh, kind of quality reps uh, in practice. I think that is an important time for him. But I just think we can pretty much put to bed the idea uh, that Webb is going to be able to push ahead of those other two guys. And you have to keep in mind, he was a project when they drafted him. He's a guy who came from that pass-happy offense, really had never taken a snap under center. That stuff doesn't go away because he had a few decent you know, practices in the spring. It's still going to be a long process, and you don't want a Super Bowl team to be one sprained ankle from putting a kid in there who's totally not ready. Um, you know, he's, he's looked good early, but he's not ready, and he's certainly not ready. And you would think that a guy like Josh Johnson who's been around forever – or Gino, who has a lot of starting experience, uh, would obviously put the team in a much better position if something ever did happen to Eli. So uh, that's kind of my biggest takeaway in the quarterbacks is, is Davis Webb is the third. Just kind of get that on your head. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, the battle between Gino and Josh Johnson. On that and on the quarterbacks, James, I mean, this is Ben McAdoo has a lot of things on his plate as a head coach, second year now. And I think there's a lot of expectations after the 11 and five last year, but the quarterback situation, that's kind of his baby. I mean, that's, that's what he's, that's what he does. Now he's a head coach as well, but on that, and just as Ben as a whole, is he different than last year? Is he the same 
Just give me some thoughts on Ben McAdoo, first year compared to second year, running a camp and clearly, you know, now running this quarterback, you know, competition behind Eli Manning. I think that Ben, I don't know, it's only been a couple of days, but uh, Ben's first day was really interesting. You know, he kind of, he came out and he was really fired up. And, you know, he, he thanked us for the job we do, which, you know, thanks, Ben. And uh, then he said, all right, I'm going to be my old guarded self again. And he's been that the past few days. I mean, you, you basically asked him where he came up with Frazier the Lion, and he was like, uh, go read your story. And I was like, that's not really an answer to the question. And he just kind of reiterated it. But I feel he's, he's, he's you know, been the way we saw him last year, guarded and everything. But I, I think there's more confidence uh, to him. I don't know if Dan agrees with me, but I think he's more confident. And, yeah, I think he's definitely in his element. You know, Davis Webb, during that opportunity period, he throws a pass. He turns right around, and he's talking to Ben and Mike Sullivan. And I think that's another thing. That opportunity period, the seven-on-seven they have, defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo, offense coordinator, Mike Sullivan, head coach, Ben McAdoo, and I think quarterback's coach, Frank Signetti, all of them are working with the young guys during that drill. I think it shows the importance they're putting in developing young players, and specifically Webb, that they have the three major coaching figures on the offensive side of the ball with him to discuss every throw he makes. Uh, they're clearly all in on developing Webb, and it's something that Ben is taking major you – know, he's spread all over the place as a head coach, but I think he's definitely taking interest in Webb. And that's clearly what, I mean, there's a reason they drafted the kid because Ben McIntyre had to sign off on it and his development's going to be key uh, moving forward. That's, that's for tomorrow. For today, as we look at the, the team right now, Dan, as we look at what they are, is there a different feeling at the camp? Is it too hard to tell yet? I mean, there's, there's clearly expectations for this Giants team. Last year, that wasn't there, not to this extent, off of the 11-5 and five year. Is there a feeling around camp that this team is supposed to be pretty good? What's that like so far? Yeah, and it's funny. I would think back to last year, there was optimism, but it felt kind of like every team feels good in July and August. Right. But, you know, they did make those big signings. So I think there was kind of guarded optimism, like, well, hey, if Vernon's what we thought he is, if Jenkins is what we thought he is, Snacks, is, you know, uh, and all those guys obviously delivered and then some. So now you come in this year, it's less of a projection. You're like, this is a, you know, 11 win team. Uh, you know, you arguably got better when you had the guys like Brandon Marshall and Evan Engram. So, uh, I, you know, that was the, the message from day one, which is interesting because some teams totally won't even touch big term goals. You know, like, you know, look at the Patriots just trying to get better one day at a time. And now that we get into camp, that's kind of how the focus turns. You're not praying at McAdoo to, to wax poetic about putting the fifth trophy in the case, you know, on a random Tuesday in August. But on day one, they don't shy away from it. And, and it, it makes sense. I mean, listen, every team is trying to win the Super Bowl, but it's more realistic for others. And the, and the Giants are in that realistic category. Um so, yeah, I think that there's a difference in last year in the sense that last year it was it was sort of just hoping and maybe believing. And, and now they've seen that it is a reality. They are you know a team that should be able to contend. And I think you see that with this team. I mean, they have a lot of guys who have, you know, big time, high profile players. It's not just Odell. I mean, you know, Landon Collins is is really making uh, the kind of move up the ranks. And, and like some of the other guys I mentioned, those free agents last year, Snacks is everywhere, uh, you know, doing kind of a media tour before camp started. Uh, so I think that this team is, is much more on the radar, and, and they seem very comfortable with that. They have a lot of big personalities, and, and they're not shying away from those expectations. They're not, and that's, I think Giants fans like that. I think off of last year, to be that kind of team, they got to own it, and, and I think they are so far. And that, I think people appreciate that. James, when you're out there watching, what's catching your eye so far in terms of a battle? I mean, the Giants have a lot of 
positions, a lot of players, a lot of veterans that we know are entrenched and barring an injury are going to be out there. But is there any camp battle that's caught your eye so far? You know, I think the main camp battles are the ones that are kind of in the trenches, so we, we only can learn so much. We're going to have to wait for the pads. I think defensive tackle is probably the most fluid of the, the position battles. Uh, Robert Thomas has been running with the first team. I think he's the, he's the slight favorite right now. Obviously, Dalvin Tomlinson's second-round pick. A lot of people you know, were looking for him to start. I, I think that you know, if you look back on the recent history – with defensive tackles that kind of get taken in the second round, it can be tough for those guys to make an immediate, you know, impact as a starter. So I, I do think that I mean, if I go back to last year, Eli Apple and Sterling Shepard, albeit you know skill positions, which is a little bit more different uh, without pads, they were on the field basically from the start with the offense. And we've kind of seen this year. Evan Ingram has, you know, seen some time with the first team, but not exclusively. And, and Tomlinson has been running with like the second or third team. Obviously, Webb. So I, the Giants seem to be taking this rookie group a little bit slower than maybe they did last year with their with their first couple of picks. So I don't know if that's just because it, those guys are going to need the pads to come on to see more, or if maybe the Giants don't see them having. You know, immediate, you know, full-time starter roles like Gapple and Shepard did last year. Offensive line as well. I mean, you know, the Giants have said they're going to mix it up, try different combinations. I'm intrigued to see if they actually do because last year, you know, they said that Marshall Newhouse and Bobby Hart were having a right tackle battle. And I think Bobby Hart took one first-team snap of any meaning uh, in practice. So I, you never. it was just a, a battle name only. I'm intrigued to see, you know, do they let DJ Fluker try to play right tackle and right guard? Is there a true battle at right guard? You know, are they going to let Biznawati push hard at tackle? I think it remains to be seen. I'm skeptical. I think the Giants' offensive line, the starting five now, is what they're going to have in week one against the Cowboys, and there really won't be much of a position battle, but we'll see. We will, and, and yeah, I think that's the thing. When the pads come on, especially on the lines, that's when they'll – maybe have a battle and maybe something will change. But right now it's, it's a little early for that. Dan, the other side of this is not just a battle. It's the players that catch your eye, probably catch some of the coaches eyes so far. It's been a few practices. Give us someone that's caught your eye in a good way or a bad way. And obviously with the caveat, the pads aren't on yet. Yeah. So I mean, I'll, I'll kind of eliminate the guys in the trenches for that reason. But the guy who's jumped out to me is the guy that, you know, would make Giants fans pretty excited, I think, is Eli Apple. Because, you know, obviously that year one to year two is a time when a lot of guys make a jump. And I see a lot of fans saying, oh, like he's going to make a Landon Collins type jump. I mean, that that's not an every everyday thing, every year thing. What he did was spectacular between his first and second year. If Eli Apple, you know, makes half a big a jump, uh, they'll be in good shape. But uh, he just he put on a little bit of weight, he said, made him stronger. Um, he just seems like he has a lot more confidence out there. I think last year it was, you know, he was thrown right into the fire, like James said, and, and it was a learning curve. He had ups and downs, which every rookie cornerback is going to have. I think he got a little more solid as the year went on and he just seems so much more comfortable this year. And you can't ask for a better way to, to train than to go up against Odell Beckham Jr. And Brandon Marshall and Sterling Shepard every day. And he's really locked up a lot with Odell in the first couple of days. And of course, Odell's going to have some catches, but Apple's had just as many plays back where he's been, you know, all over him in coverage, you know, forcing completions. And then he's got a little more swag to him this year where every time he breaks up a pass, he, you know, he kind of does the incomplete signal with a little emphasis. And I know wide receivers, you know, don't love that, but I, I think you have to like that, that he is uh, that confident. It's not like he feels like, Oh, I got lucky. He's kind of basically telling everyone that, yeah, that's how it's going to be. So 
I, I think that's a, a huge development. If, if he can raise his game, which, again, you're going to expect that from a first-round pick going into year two who, who got a lot of playing time last year, he should be better. Uh, you know, that could just take this secondary to another level. It's already a strength of the team. So I think that's, uh, you know, kind of a big cause for excitement when your first-round picks are, are looking like a first-round pick should. Yeah, well, that gives you a reason to believe that the team could just rise to an even bigger level. And last year, especially defensively, they, they were good without Eli Apple uh, being anything close to a great player. He was good, and he showed some promise, but he wasn't great. Speaking of the secondary, James, we have to mention what was caught on video I saw going around Twitter. I guess it was on Sunday, uh, and that would be Janoris Jenkins and Eric Pickett. Tell us what happened with the little camp scuffle there. Yeah, I actually was I was on the opposite field. The Giants were kind of running a interval time striders, not wind sprints. <laughs> not wind and sprints. McAdoo went out of his way to make So sure. is that what they're called now? They're interval time striders? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's got a term for everything. <laughs> he does. Anyway, so I, I guess and Dan and I, you know, talking to you know people like it seems that there's no like great backstory to this. It just seems that you know, they were running these striders and, and Eric Pinkins who is if you see him, he's a physical specimen. Uh, you know, obviously was on the roster for a little bit last year, kind of a special teams player. Uh, linebacker was converted to safety. I mean, he, he's built. He is not a guy that any of us would want to pick a fight with. <laughs> and he's a very fast guy, too. So he was really kind of motoring ahead of all the defensive players. I think he was only behind Odell when they were running these striders. And I guess Janoris Jenkins, you know, went up and said something to him. And I presume Pinkett said something back. And they were kind of joined. But I think people thought they were kind of, you know, having fun. You know, it's end of practice. Uh, you're running these striders. I mean, but it's not like in high school, if you remember conditioning, where it really just really sucked. I mean, I'm sure it sucks for these guys, too. But, you know, they're professional athletes. They, they should be able to handle this with a little bit more ease. And then they started up again. And Pinkett's kind of, you know, blew through the striders again. And uh, I guess Jenkins really did not appreciate the fact he was running so much harder than everyone because uh, Jackrabbit finished his run and then stormed immediately over to Pinkins and started throwing hands. So, <laughs> you know, I, I guess camp thing. Ben McAdoo called it a dust-up between family. But you don't really see a dust-up in uh, conditioning drills very often. So, you know, just, it's been a heck of a week, a couple of days at Giants camp. Yeah, it seems like it's never a dull moment over there. So you guys have – today is the, – the, we're recording this on the 31st. So the first game is coming up on Friday, August 11th, so a week from Friday against us there. So less than two weeks away from the first preseason game. From each of you, we'll wrap this podcast up by something you're looking forward to seeing in camp before the game starts. So the, the next big thing that you kind of have in your notes saying, yeah, I'm excited to see that or want to see how that looks. Dan, how about you? Yeah, it's kind of an easy one because the pads are finally going to come on. You know, Tuesday they wear shoulder pads. Uh, they never do full tackling really in, in practices. So that's pretty much the same level of con uh, contact you'll see when they put the full pads on. So you're going to finally get to see what Dalvin Tomlinson looks like, you know, trying to get through an offensive line, what Eric Flowers looks like going against Olivier Vernon, what Evan Ingram looks like trying to block Devon Kennard. All these matchups are, are going to be really fun to watch. I mean, it starts to feel like real football. It's kind of been the seven-on-seven -seven type flag football since the spring. So now we kind of get down to the nitty-gritty, and, and Ben McAdoo has said over and over uh, to be careful about evaluating guys before the pads come on. Uh, well, now it's evaluation time. It's, it's time for, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson's run with the second team. If you want to move up to the first team, you're going to have to do some work uh, in these practices. Obviously, the preseason games are going to count, but it starts as far as moving up the depth chart in these practices. So 
I would think, you know, Tuesday, maybe they'll ease into things a bit, but I would assume by the end of the week, they have five straight practices. Uh, we're going to have a lot of, of things to critique and, and get a much better idea of a lot of these guys. Cause you can say Evan Ingram, you know, he's a great blocker to so blue in the face. I mean, he hasn't really put shoulder pads on yet. So, I mean, we'll find out for real when he's asked to, you know, go, go knock an outside linebacker, go knock a defensive end to, to seal run play. So I think that's by far the most interesting thing. I'm sure they'll probably see a few more fights because that's, you know, the tensions tend to run a little high when you start knocking heads. So all that stuff is, is going to be fun to watch. If you're a fan, I think this is probably the week to, to get out to see a training camp practice. Cause you're going to, like I said, you're going to see some real football. You're going to see some competition. You're going to get your first real good look uh, at some of these rookies and, and some of these young players who are, are fighting for a spot. James, how about you? What are you looking for um, at the next 10 days or so? I think, you know, obviously the contact on the line, but I, I just want to see how some of these, you know, these position battles play out and, and, you know, how, you know, how, you know, how many opportunities Ben McAdoo actually gives to certain players. I mean, the quarterback thing to me fascinates. I think so far a couple of camp practices in uh, Josh Johnson, and Geno Smith, neither guy has looked terribly great, but I think it's very clear that Johnson is, as we thought he would be ahead by a little bit over Geno. Uh, I've never really heard a player get heckled at Giants training camp. Uh, and But there were a couple of hecklers for Geno, uh, especially on uh, thir- Saturday, I think, was their first day where they threw, where, where he had a really tough day. So you know, I'm just intrigued to see how that kind of plays out. Because, again, Eli Manning has never missed a game. Uh, you don't really think about it. You don't want to think about it if you're a Giants fan. But you got to know that you have a backup quarterback that you can at least convince yourselves you have a shot if he has to play for an extended stretch when you're kind of a team that's hoping to go to the Super Bowl. And we've got to find out who that guy is. And I just think that's a battle that we're going to probably have go all the way to the wire. So I'm intrigued to see how that develops once the pads come on and we see more team drills over the next week. Yeah, it's interesting. For the first time in a very long time, when Eli comes out of the games in preseason, the quarterbacks are going to be fun to watch because there's going to be something there. We're, we're looking to see who's next and Davis Webb. is So that, that'll be certainly certainly something we keep our eye on the next couple weeks. James, as always, thanks for doing this. Enjoy the next couple weeks, and, uh, and we'll reconvene soon. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening to episode 96 of Talk is Cheap. As the Giants roll through Trinica, we'll keep bringing these to you, talking each week about the Giants and what's going on over at McAdoo Camp number two. This is Talk is Cheap. Thanks for listening on NJ.com, iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you listen, you can find us. <laughs>